Question 40 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Charity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Charity by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 40. Of War, in four articles. We must now consider war, under which head there are four points of inquiry. First, whether some kind of war is lawful. Second, whether it is lawful for clerics to fight. Third, whether it is lawful for belligerents to lay ambushes. Fourth, whether it is lawful to fight on holy days. First article, whether it is always sinful to wage war. Objection 1. It would seem that it is always sinful to wage war, because punishment is not inflicted except for sin. Now those who wage war are threatened by our Lord with punishment, according to Matthew 26.52. All that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Therefore, all wars are unlawful. Objection to, further, whatever is contrary to divine precept is a sin. But war is contrary to a divine precept, for it is written in Matthew 5.39, But I say to you, not to resist evil. And in Romans 12.19, Not revenging yourselves, my dearly beloved, but give place unto wrath. Therefore, war is always sinful. Objection 3. Further, nothing except sin is contrary to an act of virtue. But war is contrary to peace. Therefore, war is always a sin. Objection 4. Further, the exercise of a lawful thing is itself lawful, as is evident in scientific exercises. But warlike exercises, which take place in tournaments, are forbidden by the Church, since those who are slain in these trials are deprived of ecclesiastical burial. Therefore, it seems that war is a sin in itself. On the contrary, Augustine says in a sermon on the son of the centurion, If the Christian religion forbade war altogether, those who sought salutary advice in the gospel would rather have been counseled to cast aside their arms and to give up soldiering altogether. On the contrary, they were told, Do violence to no man, and be content with your pay, according to Luke 3.14. If he commanded them to be content with their pay, he did not forbid soldiering. I answer that, in order for a war to be just, three things are necessary. First, the authority of the sovereign by whose command the war is to be waged. 
for it is not the business of a private individual to declare war, because he can seek for redress of his rights from the tribunal of his superior. Moreover, it is not the business of a private individual to summon together the people, which has to be done in wartime. And as the care of the commonweal is committed to those who are in authority, it is their business to watch over the commonweal of the city, kingdom, or province subject to them. And just as it is lawful for them to have recourse to the sword in defending that common weal against internal disturbances, when they punish evildoers, according to the words of the Apostle, in Romans 13.4, He beareth not the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. So too it is their business to have recourse to the sword of war in defending the common weal, against external enemies hence it is said to those who are in authority in psalm eighty one four rescue the poor and deliver the needy out of the hand of the sinner and for this reason augustine says in his letter against faustus twenty two seventy five the natural order conducive to peace among mortals demands that the power to declare and counsel war should be in the hands of those who hold the supreme authority. Secondly, a just cause is required, namely, that those who are attacked should be attacked because they deserve it on account of some fault. Wherefore, Augustine says, in his Questions on the Septuagint, question 10, on the book of Joshua, a just war is wont to be described as one that avenges wrongs when a nation or state has to be punished for refusing to make amends for the wrongs inflicted by its subjects or to restore what it has seized unjustly. Thirdly, it is necessary that the belligerents should have a rightful intention so that they intend the advancement of good or the avoidance of evil. Hence Augustine says, True religion looks upon as peaceful those wars that are waged not for motives of aggrandizement or cruelty, but with the object of securing peace, of punishing evildoers, and of uplifting the good. For it may happen that the war is declared by the legitimate authority and for a just cause, and yet be rendered unlawful through a wicked intention. Hence Augustine says again in his letter against Faustus, 22.74, The passion for inflicting harm, the cruel thirst for vengeance, an unpacific and relentless spirit, the fever of revolt, the lust of power, and such like things, all these are rightly condemned in war. Reply to Objection 1. As Augustine says in his letter against Faustus 22.70, To take the sword is to arm oneself in order to take the life of anyone without the command or permission of superior or lawful authority. On the other hand, to have recourse to the sword, as a private person, by the authority of the sovereign or judge, or as a public person, through zeal for justice, and by the authority, so to speak, of God, 
is not to take the sword, but to use it as commissioned by another, wherefore it does not deserve punishment. And yet even those who make sinful use of the sword are not always slain with the sword, yet they always perish with their own sword, because, unless they repent, they are punished eternally for their sinful use of the sword. Reply to Objection 2. Such like precepts, as Augustine observes in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, 119, should always be borne in readiness of mind, so that if we be ready to obey them, and if necessary, to refrain from resistance or self-defense. Nevertheless, it is necessary sometimes for a man to act otherwise for the common good, or for the good of those with whom he is fighting. Hence Augustine says, in his letter 138, Those whom we have to punish with a kindly severity, it is necessary to handle in many ways against their will. For when we are stripping a man of the lawlessness of sin, it is good for him to be vanquished, since nothing is more hopeless than the happiness of sinners, which arises a guilty impunity and an evil will, like an internal enemy. Reply to Objection 3. Those who wage war justly aim at peace, and so they are not opposed to peace except to the evil peace which our Lord came not to send upon earth, according to Matthew 10.34. Hence Augustine says in his letter 184, We do not seek peace in order to be at war, but we go to war that we may have peace. Be peaceful, therefore, in warring, so that you may vanquish those whom you war against, and bring them to the prosperity of peace. Reply to Objection 4. Manly exercises in warlike feats of arms are not at all forbidden, but those which are inordinate and perilous, and end in slaying or plundering. In olden times, warlike exercises presented no such danger, and hence they were called exercises of arms, or bloodless wars, as Jerome states in an epistle. Second article. Whether it is lawful for clerics and bishops to fight. Objection 1. It would seem lawful for clerics and bishops to fight. For as stated above in Article 1, wars are lawful and just, in so far as they protect the poor and the entire common weal from suffering at the hands of the foe. Now this seems to be above all the duty of prelates, for Gregory says, in a homily on the Gospel, number 14, The wolf comes upon the sheep, when any unjust and rapacious man oppresses those who are faithful and humble. But he who was thought to be the shepherd, and was not, leaveth the sheep, and flieth, for he fears lest the wolf hurt him, and dares not stand up against his injustice. Therefore it is lawful for prelates and clerics to fight. Objection to. Further, Pope Leo the Fourth writes, As untoward tidings had frequently come from the Saracen side, some said that the Saracens would come to the port of Rome secretly and covertly, 
for which reason we commanded our people to gather together and ordered them to go down to the seashore therefore it is lawful for bishops to fight objection three further apparently it comes to the same whether a man does a thing himself or consents to its being done by another according to romans one thirty two they who do such things are worthy of death and not only they that do them but they also that consent to them that do them now those above all seem to consent to a thing who induce others to do it but it is lawful for bishops and clerics to induce others to fight for it is written that charles went to war with the lombards at the instance and entreaty of adrian bishop of rome therefore they also are allowed to fight objection for further whatever is right and meritorious in itself is lawful for prelates and clerics now it is sometimes right and meritorious to make war for it is written that if a man die for the true faith or to save his country or in defense of christians god will give him a heavenly reward therefore it is lawful for bishops and clerics to fight on the contrary it was said to peter as representing bishops and clerics in matthew sixteen fifty two put up again thy sword into the scabbard therefore it is not lawful for them to fight i answer that several things are requisite for the good of a human society and a number of things are done better and quicker by a number of persons than by one as the philosopher observes in politics one one while certain occupations are so inconsistent with one another that they cannot be fittingly exercised at the same time wherefore those who are deputed to important duties are forbidden to occupy themselves with things of small importance thus according to human laws soldiers who are deputed to warlike pursuits are forbidden to engage in commerce now warlike pursuits are altogether incompatible with the duties of a bishop and cleric for two reasons the first reason is a general one because to wit warlike pursuits are full of unrest so that they hinder the mind very much from the contemplation of divine things the praise of god and prayers for the people which belong to the duties of a cleric wherefore just as commercial enterprises are forbidden to clerics because they unsettle the mind too much so too are warlike pursuits according to second timothy two four no man being a soldier to god entangleth himself with secular business the second reason is a special one because to wit all the clerical orders are directed to the ministry of the altar on which the passion of christ is represented sacramentally according to first corinthians eleven twenty six as often as you shall eat this bread and drink the chalice you shall show the death of the lord until he come wherefore it is unbecoming for them to slay or shed blood and it is more fitting that they should be ready to shed their own blood for christ so as to imitate indeed what they portray in their ministry for this reason it has been decreed that those who shed blood even without sin 
become irregular. Now no man who has a certain duty to perform can lawfully do that which renders him unfit for that duty. Wherefore, it is altogether unlawful for clerics to fight, because war is directed to the shedding of blood. Reply to Objection 1. Prelates ought to withstand not only the wolf who brings spiritual death upon the flock, but also the pillager and the oppressor who work bodily harm, not, however, by having recourse themselves to material arms, but by means of spiritual weapons, according to the saying of the Apostle in Second Corinthians 10.4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Such are salutary warnings devout prayers, and for those who are obstinate, the sentence of excommunication. Reply to Objection 2. Prelates and clerics may, by the authority of their superiors, take part in wars, not indeed by taking up arms themselves, but by affording spiritual help to those who fight justly, by exhorting and absolving them, and by other like spiritual helps. Thus in the Old Testament, Joshua 6.4, the priests were commanded to sound the sacred trumpets in the battle. It was for this purpose that bishops or clerics were first allowed to go to the front, and it is an abuse of this permission if any of them take up arms themselves. Reply to Objection 3. As stated above in Question 23, Article 4, Second Reply, every power, art, or virtue that regards the end has to dispose that which is directed to the end. Now among the faithful, carnal wars should be considered as having for their end the divine spiritual good to which clerics are deputed. Wherefore, it is the duty of clerics to dispose and counsel other men to engage in just wars, for they are forbidden to take up arms, not as though it were a sin, but because such an occupation is unbecoming their personality. Reply to Objection 4. Although it is meritorious to wage a just war, nevertheless it is rendered unlawful for clerics, by reason of their being deputed to works more meritorious still. Thus the marriage act may be meritorious, and yet it becomes reprehensible in those who have vowed virginity because they are bound to yet a greater good. Third article. Whether it is lawful to lay ambushes in war. Objection 1. It would seem that it is unlawful to lay ambushes in war. For it is written in Deuteronomy 16.20, Thou shalt follow justly after that which is just. But ambushes since they are a kind of deception, seem to pertain to injustice. Therefore, it is unlawful to lay ambushes even in a just war. Objection to, further, ambushes and deception seem to be opposed to faithfulness, even as lies are. But since we are bound to keep faith with all men, it is wrong to lie to anyone, as Augustine states, in against falsity 15 therefore as one is bound to keep faith with one's enemy as augustine states in his letter 189 
it seems that it is unlawful to lay ambushes for one's enemies. Objection 3. Further, it is written in Matthew 7.12, Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you also to them. And we ought to observe this in all our dealings with our neighbor. Now our enemy is our neighbor. Therefore, since no man wishes ambushes or deceptions to be prepared for himself, it seems that no one ought to carry on war by laying ambushes. On the contrary, Augustine says in his Questions on the Septuagint, question 10 on the book of Joshua, Provided the war be just, it is no concern of justice whether it be carried on openly or by ambushes. And he proves this by the authority of the Lord, who commanded Joshua to lay ambushes for the city of Hai. Joshua 8.2 I answer that, the object of laying ambushes is in order to deceive the enemy. Now a man may be deceived by another's word or deed in two ways. First, through being told something false, or through the breaking of a promise, and this is always unlawful. No one ought to deceive the enemy in this way, for there are certain rights of war and covenants which ought to be observed even among enemies, as Ambrose states in On the Duties of the Clergy 1. Secondly, a man may be deceived by what we say or do, because we do not declare our purpose or meaning to him. Now, we are not always bound to do this, since even in the sacred doctrine many things have to be concealed, especially from unbelievers, lest they deride it, according to Matthew 7, 6. Give not that which is holy to dogs. Wherefore, much more ought the plan of campaign to be hidden from the enemy. For this reason, among other things that a soldier has to learn, is the art of concealing his purpose, lest it come to the enemy's knowledge, as stated in the book on strategy by Frontinus. Such like concealment is what is meant by an ambush which may be lawfully employed in a just war. Nor can these ambushes be properly called deceptions, nor are they contrary to justice or to a well-ordered will, for a man would have an inordinate will if he were unwilling that others should hide anything from him. This suffices for the replies to the objections. Fourth article. Whether it is lawful to fight on holy days. Objection 1. It would seem unlawful to fight on holy days. For holy days are instituted that we may give our time to the things of God. Hence they are included in the keeping of the Sabbath prescribed in Exodus 28. For Sabbath is interpreted rest. But wars are full of unrest. Therefore, by no means is it lawful to fight on holy days. Objection to further. Certain persons are reproached in Isaiah 58, 3, because on fast days they exacted what was owing to them, were guilty of strife, and of smiting with the fist. Much more, therefore, is it unlawful to fight on holy days. Objection 3. Further, no ill deed should be done to avoid temporal harm. 
but fighting on a holy day seems in itself to be an ill deed. Therefore, no one should fight on a holy day even through the need of avoiding temporal harm. On the contrary, it is written in 1 Maccabees 2.41, The Jews rightly determined, saying, Whosoever shall come up against us to fight on the Sabbath day, we will fight against him. I answer that, the observance of holy days is no hindrance to those things which are ordained to man's safety, even that of his body. Hence our Lord argued with the Jews, saying, in John 7.23, Are you angry at me, because I have healed the whole man on the Sabbath day? Hence, physicians may lawfully attend to their patients on holy days. Now there is much more reason for safeguarding the common weal, whereby many are saved from being slain, and innumerable evils both temporal and spiritual prevented, than the bodily safety of an individual. Therefore, for the purpose of safeguarding the common weal of the faithful, it is lawful to carry on a war on holy days, provided there be need for doing so, because it would be to tempt God, if notwithstanding such a need, one were to choose to refrain from fighting. However, as soon as the need ceases, it is no longer lawful to fight on a holy day, for the reasons given. Wherefore, this suffices for the replies to the objections. End of question 40 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.